Last week, uh, Pastor Josh, whom you just met, shared about the spiritual power of community. So today we're going to be talking about, okay, well, the community can be very powerful, so how do we build that type of community yet again today in the 21st century? So he highlighted uh, five unique features of that first early church uh, that he read from Tim Keller, an author that we like to, to read and highlight actually quite often. So those are multi, the early church was multiracial and experienced unity across ethnic boundaries. So if, whether you were a doctor, a prostitute, whatever, you, you went by brother or sister, there was a really level playing field. That, that is very unique feature back then and there. Community of forgiveness and reconciliation, people moving towards one another in sacrificial love. They were famous for their hospitality, and we're going to really dive into hospitality and what that is. Uh, their hospitality, not just to one another, like entertaining one another, but to the poor and the suffering. And they were a community committed to the sanctity of life, from the womb to the tomb, as they say. And then they upheld a sexual counterculture that was very much went against the grain of, of, of power that, that dominated uh, sexuality at the time. So that, that's awesome. Uh, that, we would love to be that type of church community yet again. So let's take a look at this very early church community and sort of the, the features that, that were being experienced in that community so that we might think about a path forward together. So in Acts 2, uh, we read about the state of the church just days after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So just days after those events, so sometime between 30 and 36 AD, not exactly sure. Uh, but this is what it says. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they started with about 150, and then within days, there's the, the church is exploding uh, with these unique features we just read about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had common unity, community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So insiders and outsiders all were benefiting by this first early church. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they were enjoying fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. That's one of those more common Greek words where there's participation in. So there's not just this observation of something happening. There's a participation in something happening. Um, let's think about what, what is this? So everyone these days likes to talk about unity. That's, that's kind of a buzzword, especially when we live in such polarized times. But what was their unity around in this early church? Uh, in Dennis McCallum's book, Members of One Another, he, he says this. The expression continually devoting themselves or devoting themselves to is it's strong. This was not just something they did once in a while. So this was not just a once a week, check the box type of thing. This group, they didn't trust their leaders to do all the learning. In fact, the whole group felt they needed to know the truth at a deep level. 
So happily, we have this same teaching from the apostles in our New Testament. So we can't go down some evenings and listen to Peter or John lecture. That would be kind of cool. But we can read and study their books. Understood properly, the church is a community of truth. We don't come together based mainly on social need or affinity, like K-State football or disc golf or any number of other things you guys like, pickleball. That's not the main reason that we gather, but we come together based on the great truths of God and especially his work in Jesus Christ. So our gatherings are contentful, contentful, full of the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that might not be people's initial step into the door. It might be based on a need or an affinity for a person. But at the end of the day, we are a community united around the person work of Jesus Christ. So they were meeting every day, it says. They were eating lots of food. That's probably one of my favorite things to do in a, in a group setting. I think that was one of the mingle questions. Lots of food, lots of drink, lots of square footage utilized for the kingdom in this early church, meeting in people's homes. There's actually uh, examples of, of homes where they busted out walls to accommodate the growth of the small groups in those first, uh, first couple centuries. Pretty cool stuff. And we have people in our community who are buying homes so they can accommodate growth of groups. And it's very cool to, to hear about and be a part of. So as you think about this early church, what description of the early church gets you excited to be a part of something like that? So maybe just as we go, think about what, what about that early church would you be excited about? What about that description um, gives you concern? Like they're selling property and donating for the good of the people. You know, what's going on here? What description of this early church are we as a church strong at? Something to think about. Are there some strengths that we have that we can build on that look like this early church? And what are we weak at? Where do we need to grow? So Josh last week shared about the early church growth. A thousand people in 40 A.D., I think he said 0.0017% of world population. But then within uh, 300 years, 33.8 million, 56.5% of the world population. That's pretty cool, that type of growth. So how do we get back to what worked for the early church? So we have some, we have some encouraging trends, actually, as a, as a merged church. Not, not quite as encouraging as that early church, but... As of January of 2022, we're up 67% in this worship gathering. That's kind of fun. It's it's nice to to see a fuller room and to see friends and family and people coming around. So that is fun. But it feels overwhelming to read the description in Acts 2, think about those unique features, and think, could we ever be a part of something like that? At our uh, SOPO group this past uh, Wednesday, actually we met closer to Ogden, not SOPO, um, we, we had a great discussion actually of those five unique features. I think it was Edward who, who made some comments, Edward who's back here playing electric and singing, and I can't remember exactly how he put it, so we can ask him later, but it was something like, if it was so countercultural and difficult to uh, develop those five unique features back then and there, but yet so impactful 
What present, prevents us today when it, those same things are so countercultural, so difficult? We have the same Spirit of God. We have the same Scriptures. We've got the same need all around us. So we are in just the, the similar position that the early church was to, to make an impact and experience growth and to stand out against the culture, including much religious culture in, in, our, in our greater, bigger culture. So I'm excited. I'm excited for our church. I'm excited about our story, how we came together through this pandemic. I'm excited about the, the hurt and pain even and baggage that our leaders are bringing and different groups are bringing that we're getting to see uh, redemption and reconciliation occur. I'm excited about um, the groups that are starting this fall. Um, and we would love to have you jump right in and grow with us. We're excited to cultivate spaces. For, for some people, it's for refuge, just a space to land. Maybe just not even ask questions, just to land, to be present. A space for healing, maybe then slowly to begin healing. And then eventually to grow into maturity and to be a contributor and to build community with us. So Peter, we're going we're gonna to turn to some of his writings, because um, he was sort of a blockhead, you know. He really experienced community where he, he was bold, he took risks, but over time it chipped away at him, and eventually he, he emerged as a leader who really shaped the early church. So he's writing at a time when Nero reigned. So Nero reigned from 54 AD to about 68 AD. And so this, this first Peter, this book was written sometime between 62 and 64 AD. So about 30 years after the description that we just read about, Peter writes to this church who is experiencing major persecution under Nero. Just go read about uh, that guy. It was, it was pretty brutal. Um, it was a, probably a rougher environment than we're experiencing, as rough as that is, and is um, these days. So here, here's uh, the first thing I wanted to read, though, was his reminder to them about who they are. He says, but you, again, written to this people who have got to be questioning what is happening. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you don't exist just to have a holy huddle until Jesus comes back or you pass away, but no, to declare the beauties of the gospel into the darkness because other people need to, to experience the light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A couple of chapters later, um, his exhortation, and this is where we'll focus, to build community together. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Let's pray together. Father, we know that um, the end is nearer now than ever. Uh, for Peter, he probably thought it was in his lifetime. But then again, every generation has thought that. 
but we know we're in a time where you want to make a big impact in and through us. We ask you to help us respond to your call into community and then your call to build community so that more will know you as their father and your son as their savior and friend. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So three major exhortations here. Love, offer love, offer hospitality, and offer our gifts. So if you pick one of those three and walk away with an action step, that'll be awesome. So think about Peter writing these things to this group of people under the reign of Nero. Why would he write these things? Well, because these are the things that are the key ingredients to experience the type of church that happened in Acts 2, right? That's lifted up. And these are the things that are very, very difficult. That's why he says them, because the people are struggling to live these out. And he's probably experienced that in his own life. Um, as, as, a, as a leader, he has experienced love from others that has covered his own sins. Read Peter's, Peter's story. I mean, he, he is the guy who sticks his foot in his mouth, and yet Jesus continues to work with him over time. Even as a, as a church leader, Paul has to rebuke him later in Galatians 2, but they, they work through that. So Peter has experienced this type of community. He knows it works. So he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We need to get in community to the point where you are sinned against, basically. I mean, that, that's, that's tough, right? We need to be in an environment where you are experiencing love that covers over a multitude of sins. Again, not harm, not, not, not abuse, but we are going to be hurt in community. And that's when we get to experience love like Jesus gives, sacrificial love. In Proverbs 19.11, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Uh, I know sometimes in my home, uh, I get really amped up with the family, and I, I lose patience, and I am looking for reason to take offense, right? Not to overlook the spilled water, not to overlook this little thing, that little thing, but we need to be ones who are quick to overlook offenses as we can, and to be in there with one another where we are being offended and we can experience love. So, in fact, let's think about this um, we cannot experience and give love like this unless we are in relationships where we have that level of depth. We can probably not experience that. We could come in and out of Sunday morning gathering and never be offended. But if you get into someone's home at any regularity, you're going to run into situations where offense is taken and given, and we need to experience this type of love. Uh, McCallum says this, American Christians sense an awful vacuum in Western Christianity. I mean, do you feel that vacuum? Like, there's something missing in Western Christianity, what's, what's occurred, what's, what's come about. But frankly, we're confused on what to do about it. Spirituality and devotional books fly off the shelves, or maybe they don't fly off the shelves, I'm not sure. Many of those are good. But as we read the contemporary literature on how to fix your ailing Christian walk, and we compare it with the New Testament, 
Often there's a big difference that comes across again and again, the body of Christ. Even when contemporary writers mention the people of God as part of the solution, their discussions often become vague. Many people today frankly wonder, what does this part mean? What does it mean to be the body of Christ in such an isolated, fragmented, fractured, technologically driven society? He goes on, he says, in the New Testament, the context and the content for every book is the same. Every book you read, the close community of God's people. These are all communities, rather like the one in Jerusalem that we just read about. We never see a version of Christianity in the New Testament that envisions the individual with his or her God. It's always, always, always the people of God growing together at a deep level. Without this, much of the content of the New Testament simply makes no sense. COVID-19 is really putting this to the test, right? And so welcome if you're tuning in online, but we exhort you and encourage you, be a part of the body gathered. We are embodied souls. We want to be present with one another. That's what the New Testament was written to the embodied people present with one another in community. And you can't, you can't live out the, the New Testament without that. It's just impossible. You can read it all day. You can develop all of your own personal spiritual practice. You can read all of the great literature, but you will be unable to live out the New Testament. Just think about all the one another commands um, or invitations. Don't even think of them as commands, as invitations and how to help community flourish we're not going to read these, but there's, I have a list here of 41 one another commands just littered throughout the New Testament. You can't do this stuff if you're not in community. You can't submit to one another without being in community. You can't not slander one another if, if you're not in community, you know? Just one another after one another. We are designed to be in community. So the first encouragement is, is to love one another deeply to the point where you have to actually forgive and um, bear one another's burdens. The next exhortation is to offer hospitality. And he says to one another without grumbling. So here we have it again. <laughs> This isn't just a nice uh, dinner party where everyone shows up and, and we kind of, we do our thing and we just go home. This is like, no, we're in each other's stuff. We're in each other's business to the point where you want to grumble, right? And then you have to remember, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this without grumbling, okay? Um, so yeah, this is, this is awesome. Um, and if you've been in my home, I'm, I'm one who is prone to grumble. And uh, people that have been in my group uh, over these last 16 years, everyone knows that about me, right? When you spill the thing on the coffee, I'm more inclined, or on the carpet, I'm more inclined to quickly clean that up uh, than to make sure that you feel good about yourself. And I'm trying to grow, right? Uh, but when we're in each other's home and in each other's spaces, um, this can be tough. So Christine Pohl, in her book, uh, Making Room, about rediscovering uh, biblical hospitality, she says this, Hospitality, it's such a fundamental human practice, and it always has included family, friends, and influential contacts. 
The distinctive Christian contribution, which we even talked about last week, was the emphasis on on including the poor and the neediest, the ones who could not return the favor. The focus did not diminish the value of hospitality to family and friends, like we include them as well. Rather, it broadened the practice so the close relationships formed by table fellowship and conversation could be extended to the most vulnerable. And that's what we want to be about. We, we talked as a group this last Wednesday, like how hard it is to be in a position in a space where we are actually inviting the poor and the vulnerable into our homes. And uh, Pastor Sarah and I are in conversation about what, what might outreach look like for our church right here downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Like we are right in the midst of many of the poor and marginalized in our community. What does that look like for us to be a hospital for the hurting? Hospitality is related to hospital, not just entertaining people that we like or contacts that are going to help us upward, uh, become upwardly mobile, but people have nothing to give in return. Uh, and an easy way to think about hospitality is, you know, to, to really simplify it is people just want food, drink, and your presence. So if you have some food, have something to offer, and your presence, that's, that's it. They don't need a clean house. They don't need everything put away. They just need you and a little food and drink. Um, she goes on, she says, uh, the contemporary church hungers for models of a more authentic Christian life in which glimpses of the kingdom can be seen and the promise of the kingdom embodied. More than words and ideas, the world needs living pictures of what a life of hospitality could look like. That's what we need is models of, of people opening their homes. Um, and if you don't have a home, hey, that's okay. There's plenty of spaces to gather. Jesus himself didn't have a home. He had no square footage to offer. He had no fridge to open. He, he had none of that. But he had himself, right, to offer his presence. I mean, he'd, he'd eat your food and make you feel good about it, which is, is cool. <laughs> and that's a whole other point, if, except the local hospitality. If you get invited somewhere, uh, yeah, drop what you're doing, show up. You know, um, Krister Stendhal, in a writing called The Kingdom on Its Way, she says, uh, wherever, whenever, however the kingdom manifests itself, it is welcome. Every time the kingdom is, is advancing, it is, it is welcoming. That's what it, what it does. Um, think about our community, like even this room right, right here. How much square footage is represented? So we're on a lease here. We have our certain square footage. We use this space, and we have to think about that. But we actually have a lot more square footage to consider using for the kingdom. So let's use it. Let's let's use our space for the kingdom. Open your home. Open your fridge. Open your heart. And as I said, if you don't have anything, any of that stuff, it's okay. Jesus didn't either. And yet he was the one who led the way in welcoming us. So that's number two, offer hospitality. Number, number three, offer gifts. Um, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So when it says each of you, it means each and every one of you. So everyone sitting here has gifts that God has given you. You may not have discovered those yet, but you have gifts that are intended to be offered to community for the good of the community. 
Now, there are several lists of gifts in the New Testament. Um, one of them just right here in the next couple of verses. If anyone speaks, do so as one who speaks the words of God. If anyone serves, serve with the strength of God. There's a list in Romans 12. We have different gifts, prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. A couple things about gifts. One is most of these we all need to grow and develop into to have a baseline. So you can't say, well, my gift is not giving, so I'm not going to give. Or my gift is not uh, showing mercy, so I'm just not merciful, right? So there's a, there's a maturity that we should all attain in all of these things. The other thing is all these lists, they, they don't tell us exactly how to discern these gifts. There's no spiritual gift test you can take that's going to help you understand it. The way you learn what your gifts are is getting into community and, and taking experiments, experimenting, exploring, trying things, listening to feedback. So we need to have an environment, a gracious environment, where, where all of us can take risk in offering our gifts and then receiving feedback. Not all of us are going to teach. Not all of us are going to sing. Not all of us are going to do this, that, or the other. But many of us are, and we need to raise up uh, all of the gifts within the body and not withhold those. And it is a risk. It is, it is a risk to step out. So one, one way that you can serve the body is by giving feedback to others when they take risks graciously, especially positive feedback. So when you see someone step out and it, and it goes well, give them that feedback. Wow, when your words that you shared, they really built that person up. That's awesome. You might have a gift there. Um, so yes, so this, don't sit back taking a bunch of spiritual gifts tests and then waiting to, to jump in. We need to all jump in and take risk and we'll, we'll, we'll discern these gifts as we go. Um, in Ephesians 4, this is a description of, uh, talking about how, how, how leadership, the gifts in leadership are, aren't just for the leaders to like do their thing and be on display, but that they would equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Christ says, or Paul says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, all these different gifts. So they would equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 15 says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. That's what we want to experience, is, is the body building itself up in love, where we're not manufacturing things, but an organic experience. Real quick, I want to compare and contrast um, a couple different models of church. I call this the traditional model or institutional model. And maybe many of us have experienced, I know I've experienced this at different times, where the idea is, is you have God up here, and then you have the clergy. Clergy just means the leadership. And what do they do? They clergy all day, I guess. And they, they kind of function as conduits to all the people, the laity, which I guess just means they just lay around in ordered rows receiving from the clergy who are connected with God. I don't know if anyone has experienced that. Your church experience has been like that. That's not what we want here 
we want something that looks a little bit more like this pizza or amoeba. <laughs> Call it the New Testament model or the organic model. Christ is the head. The leaders, whether they're elders or group leaders or staff, or anyone can lead in, in many ways within an organization, mixed in with everybody. So sometimes you can't tell who, who's leading this thing or not. You know, Christ ultimately is the head. But we all together are, are exercising our gifts, offering hospitality, offering love, and the whole thing is growing. Yes, it feels a little more chaotic. The rows aren't quite as neat and tidy. But man, it is living, it is thriving, it is growing. That's what we want to be about. An environment, a gracious environment for growth. So a few questions for you um, as you think about these passages. What's your next step in the community? And then after that, what's your next step to build community? You might be already connected with a group, but there's a step for you to take to build community and how are you being called to love? Who are you being invited to offer hospitality to? And what risk can you take to discover and offer your gifts? So I wanted to share just briefly, and then I'm going to have uh, someone come up here and share their experience. Um, most consistent things for me in Manhattan, Kansas. So I, I was a freshman in 99. I've been here a long time. People come and go on these two to five year rotations. Uh, but most consistent things in my life here in Manhattan, Kansas, my marriage since 2005, my dog who uh, passed away in May, so that's sad, but then my church small group that started in fall 2006. It's actually the same group that's listed back there, SOPO group. It's gone through multiple iterations through all sorts of church uh, difficulty and drama, but there's been a consistent small group that my family's been involved in. It's been hugely beneficial. We started that way back with Paxton and Judy Lemoyne, who are still involved in our church, and another couple, Nate Dillon, who many of you have met, started a couple months later. Jermaine married into it. We've gone through all sorts of seasons together of infertility, of miscarriage, of Baby booms just within our group. It's been, it's been so cool. We've, we've had baptisms in pools at the Blue River, Pillsbury Crossing, Pot Lake Number 2 in 19-degree weather, in portable hot tubs over all these years. I remember one year we had 20-plus adults move out of town from our group, but the thing kept going. It just kept going, whether it was big or small. So much food eaten. We throw, when we have a, a potluck, it's, it's really good. So I hear that uh, our potluck may be uh, rivaled by the uh, Green Hill Zone group, though, as well. So we had a, a white elephant gift exchange for, with 50 plus gifts right before we launched another group. We've had single, married, we've, we've faced, we've done um, weddings, we've, we've had funerals. It's just been this amazing small group experience that's ebbed and flowed over these years. And I look back over, my, over the last 16 years of my role in church leadership in various places. It's been very difficult. Lots of difficult transitions, lots of hurt, but there's been this consistency to this organic group of people that's been a huge blessing to me personally. 
And I can't wait to hear those stories from Jesus one day of all the good that's been done through that small group that we may never hear about um, this side of eternity. So I wanted to invite up Bridget uh, Mooney, Mooney. She's a new person, uh, new-ish to our church and um, new to our little group as well, our little SOPO group. Uh-oh, is this battery going out? You're going to have to use this. Uh-oh. I think we have the same problem we had last week. Oh. Do we need to switch places? Yeah. So I, I, I've, I've just observed uh, Bridget jumping in, um, loving people well, offering hospitality, and also taking risks and using her gifts, and it's, it's been cool. So I, I just asked her to share just a little bit of her experience in our community this, over this past year. All right, so it's dangerous when you invite a pastor's kid to the mic. You don't know what might happen. <laughs> um, my nerves don't come from public speaking. I love public speaking. My nerves come from... How do I not public speak too much? So that's why I'm staying up here. So. Exactly. I told you know ben we'll, when he we'll invite asked the worship me. team can make their way up as well. No, seriously. <laughs> I told Ben when he asked me, I was like, you might need to play that like Oscars music that cuts me off yeah. at some point. So yeah, serious worship team, you can start making. It. I, I'm being serious. Where are they? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> So, um, I've been coming to Tallgrass at the Well for about a year now uh, Sorry. with my family. Um, there's my husband, Josh, and my daughter, Amelia, or Allie, um, as she goes by. Um, and um, so, I will try to make sure I make the, distinct, uh, the distinction between my husband, Josh, and the pastor, Josh. <laughs> um, but uh, it's funny because I actually met Ben and Maris at yoga a few weeks before that, um, before we started coming, and I think it was the first time Ben had ever been to yoga. That's not um, true. And then I showed up, um, and uh, Maris was here, and she remembered me. Um, and so I went to pizza with the pastors, uh, and from my viewpoint at least, I really grilled Ben, Josh, um, and Sarah about things, and they didn't even flinch. And then all these little connections and commonalities just started to emerge after that. Um, it turns out that um, we have some mutual friends or contacts um, that we've talked about, um, or um, I started talking to someone about um, Allie and how her birthday was coming up, and they were like, oh, my niece has the exact same birthday, and it turns out they're like a half hour apart or something like that, which is crazy. Um, but I also, I really like, uh, what I would call the ecumenicism. Um, I admire the merger of the churches. Uh, I grew up um, as a Methodist slash Presbyterian pastor's kid, um, and the church that my mom's family went to for generations is called uh, Maine Federated Church, which is in Maine, New York, which is not at all confusing. Um, <laughs> but their story was like back in the 1800s, two of, two of the churches um, were there in town and one of them had a fire and the church burned down so the other church invited them to worship and they loved each other so much they just never left. So when I saw um, what the churches were doing, I just thought that that was really cool um, because it kind of echoed some of my own story and my own family's history. Um, we did alternate between here and another church for a while. Um, and. I'd miss the, this community a little more every time we were at the other church. 
Um, when you talk about offering hospitality to one another without grumbling, I feel like this community has that strength and fellowship. And not only that, but this community respects boundaries, and I think that's huge. Uh, no one rushed at me once they found out I worked with kids, uh, pushing me to serve in um, that capacity in any way. No one said, hey, you're a helpful person, work the sound booth, which is a terrible idea, never asked me to work the sound booth. <laughs> um, people wanted to get to know me and my family first, and when I was gone the entire summer for a book study but wanted to come to the last meal event, uh, Jen Gelder and Edie said, of course, and then they all listened to me drone on about my experience living in an intentional community. Uh, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with strength God provides. And I connected that to, this is an emotionally safe community. You can tell a lot of intentional work has gone into that at an individual and at a community level. And openness about where we stand with room to acknowledge hurts and differences. Um, I really liked, there was a sermon where Pastor Sarah invited us to stay and to wrestle, that we could deconstruct, but then to stay with the community while we reconstruct, and that the community would hold space for that. Um, I remember when Pastor Josh preached on men and women in the church, and I immediately cringed um, when I heard that topic, but he paused to say something like, I know these verses, I think they were the verses from like First Timothy, have been used to, as a weapon against women to subjugate and to silence, and I wanna say that I'm sorry. And I'd been in a huddled down, fist clenched position anytime someone from the church mentioned that topic or those verses. And I have a lot of baggage surrounding that issue. And when he said that, I kind of felt myself uncurl a little bit. Um, as a pastor's kid and someone who once felt called to be a pastor, moreover, simply as a woman, the treatment of women in the church is important to me. And now it's crucial because I want my daughter to see how mutuality can be lived out in a holy and a healthy way. I love the way this community has loved her. I see the intentionality and work put into the children's program here, how their physical and emotional safety is valued. Uh, she was delayed in talking when we first came, and nobody pushed her on that or asked, what's wrong with her, why won't she talk to me? Uh, she's a very typical COVID kid, and so she would not separate from me in the nursery, um, so I was like the third nursery volunteer for about a month. Um, and Jen and Morgan and the other volunteers just took that completely in stride. And she thrives here now. Uh, she talks about, I tell her it's Sunday and we're going to church, and she's like, there'd be snacks? <laughs> and we have a story, and we see friends, and I'm like, and we learn about Jesus. And she's like, yeah, we learn about, the, about Jesus, but about the snacks. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then I will, am I, am I doing okay on time? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I'll try not to get emotional during this part. But uh, four months ago to the day, I was packing Allie up to go to small group. And I got a really life-altering phone call. Um, my dad died of a heart attack. Uh, this is utterly shocking to anyone who knew my father. Uh, he hiked nine miles a day. He was getting ready to hike the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Um, and um, there was just no indication that this was coming. And this is all the more devastating to me because I'm an only child, and I lost my mom when I was a kid. Um, and so much of my church experience and experience in church community is connected to my father. 
because of what he did as a, as a pastor and as a hospital chaplain. And I love the way that this new community has loved us through that event and through that grief. Uh, ben Amaris reached out to me immediately because I texted and said, you know, I can't make it. <laughs> it's a small group. Uh, Emma gave me a meal, or gave me, gave me a gift card for a meal. Jenny and John had our family over for dinner when we got back from 10 days in Pennsylvania taking care of things. Uh, the entire small group sent us flowers six weeks after, um, which has been remembered. Um, I told him that was when I was going to need support because that's when I knew that support tended to fade. Um, Alicia Hillgeist comes up and asks me how I am just about every Sunday, and she really wants to know. Uh, Amanda Braun and her boys, even though she's relatively new here, they did play dates with us over the summer, which gave us a sense of normalcy. Misty gave me a standing offer of, if you need to get out and go somewhere, just let me know. And Judy asked me questions about my dad's life as she cut my as she cut my hair. And it's amazing to me that a new church community would do this for my family because I think you can. I've easily been in a place where I say I don't know that person and I don't want to step on their grief, and I just kind of freeze and I don't do anything. And you guys haven't done that at all. You've all used your your gifts in in different ways to. Uh, to help our family through this, and I, I can't say thank you enough for that. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. We'll give it up for Bridget. Hey, thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Bridget. That's cool. I would love to, to pray for us as we transition to seeing. Thank you so much, Bridget, for sharing that. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know um, most of the, that story of all the people and how they supported you in that, this last four, a few months, so... Thanks for sharing that, and uh, I, I love when I, we can hear about the body functioning, uh, and, and we're not making it all happen. It's just happening, and we want more of that. That makes me excited. So, Father, thanks so much for the, the morning. Thank you for um, Bridget and her courage to, to share and to just step in with her family into our community. I pray that uh, as your spirit is speaking to each of us, that you would help us to put aside distraction as we begin to wrap up our time together this morning, just to be present with you and to respond to what, what you want to say to us. Please give us courage to take whatever that next step is, whether that's just a simple step into community, and maybe that's just trying out one of the groups back on that board or or asking how to get involved or just coming to pizza with the pastors next week. And you'd help us to take those next steps to build community, Father, that we would be increasingly a, a loving community that would offer hospitality to one another, that would risk reaching out to someone who's experiencing grief, even if we don't know exactly what to say, that we would risk celebrating with those who are celebrating God, I pray that uh, several in this room would, would discover what their gifts are. Um, these are spiritual gifts. They're supernatural gifts. You can do amazing things in and through us. Even if we don't believe that yet, I pray that you would give us uh, courage to believe that you have great things in store in and through us personally and in and through our community. Father, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.